Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome back, Solar Warrior. And it is such a beautiful time to be alive. It's a beautiful time to be in the United States, at least right now. The weather continues to be amazing this month of March as we celebrate the impact of women in our culture, the way that women increasingly are being recognized as better leaders, as better and more empathic uh, executives in businesses. It's been a real privilege and honor to be able to have some of my friends and folks that inspire me on the show. And this week on Suncast, as we wrap up Women's History Month, I am so excited to be able to bring to you a fearless leader that fits the bill to a T, someone that I've been friends with for a little while and admiring for a lot, lot longer. And if this is your first time listening to Suncast, I hope that you get a ton of value out of this. I recognize that you are giving us the only resource for you, which is not renewable, and that is your time. I pray that in the next hour, you will feel it is well spent. And if you do like what you hear, please subscribe to the show, rate it, review it, share it with your mother, your baker, your babysitter, whoever you think will get a lot of value out of this. And uh, don't miss our twice weekly content, just like it, which you can find over at mysuncast.com or in your podcast player of choice. And a special thank you to all of you who throughout this month have supported all of our posts on LinkedIn, highlighting women leaders and who yourselves have been using social platforms to elevate the awareness of the amazing women in the energy and sustainability and climate tech industry. For now, let's get ready and tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune in to another powerful conversation here on Suncast. As I teased, Today's entrepreneur is someone that I have come to really genuinely appreciate in uh, in the world and in the solar industry. Uh, I want to give a huge hat tip to our mutual friend and Return Peace Corps volunteer, Kristen Kirsch, for helping make the introduction. Also to my friend, Christian Rosalind, who was the first to actually bring Miss Andrea Lukey onto the Suncast podcast. Andrea Lukey is an entrepreneurial and fearless, as I've said before, leader with a diverse international background who, over the course of a decade, took an organization you may be familiar with, the Solar Foundation, from idea to globally renowned organization that's responsible for some of the industry's most trusted and valuable research and education. Andrea, over 10 years, served as the strategic mind and engine key spokesperson, prime fundraiser, and creator of all the products that you'll find in the Solar Foundation cadre of equipment that is now safely in the hands of the Interstate Renewable Energy Council, where the Solar Foundation was successfully strategically merged at the end of 2020. That's a mouthful. I don't know that I've given that long of a bio for anyone. (laughs) Andrea, I'm so happy to have you here on the show today. Thanks, Nico. I'm super happy to be with you at long last. I think it's been, what, two years since you've tried to get me back on your show? I'm going to tell you, I've said this to people in private. I've never pursued anyone more than you to get on the show, Andrea. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm very hard to get, you know, that, that's, that's, that's how I roll. So but I'm here. You've got me. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, so buckle your seatbelts, folks. This is going to be a wild ride. It's going to be fun. If you were one of the participants in the Clean Energy for America ball back January 20th uh, of this year, 2021, celebrating Biden's inaugural, Biden and Harris, then you were witness to one of the ways that Andrea shows up in all her greatness. Andrea, that was a blast. 
is that kind of limelight, that kind of hard time crunch project, just something that you eat for breakfast? Oh, not at all. (laughs) (laughs) I I think that event, what we pulled off in less than a month was epic. And if I were to do something like that, again, it'd probably kill me. It took me about <laughs> two weeks after the event to, to recover. My hands had post-traumatic stress disorder. They were shaking. I couldn't hold a mouse from all of the emails and the texts and the Slack messages and just the coordination that your team and my team and the Clean Energy for Biden team were doing in that very short three-week period. It was amazing. Would I like to do something like that again? Oh, hell no. <laughs> I am not an event center. I'm, a, I'm an amazing connector and I sure know how to get things done. And I do work well under pressure. I like to be on deadline. I like to have a crisis, a problem to solve, but that was intense. That was a little, that was a little more than what anyone uh, would have anticipated. How, how do you feel? Are you recovered? I am fully recovered now, two months on. And uh, it, it took nearly that, like you said, two weeks just to feel like I could open Slack again. And, but we, you know, our team's used to events and it's always fun when I see how folks respond to what for us is kind of uh, everyday normal uh, for events, but it can be an onslaught of information, coordination. Uh, it, it really is intense and makes one really appreciate the work that folks do that pull these events together. Uh, and I just want to say for the record that you did an unbelievable job. You pulled together a team and the funding to make that thing happen. And I think that has become one of your superpowers that we'll talk, I expect a lot more about it. Where are you originally from in the world? I'm from the Southwest corner of Wisconsin. I, I hail from a small town called Dodgeville. And Dodgeville. I know, Dodgeville. Where, where Dodgeball was founded. <laughs> it's where what was? Dodgeball. <laughs> <laughs> but you got the heck out of Dodgeville. What, when I did got you... the heck out of Dodge. As soon as I was 18, I left. I, I went to Minneapolis to undergrad. I was the only person from my small town that went to the Twin Cities for, for school. So I didn't have a, a network. I didn't have any friends. Of course, in that era. I'm, I'm a Xennial, so I'm like right on the cusp between Gen X and Millennial. But um, I went to university without a cell phone, with without an email address. Facebook didn't exist at that time. And so I just left the nest and went to Minneapolis and, and made a life for myself, which was sort of the start of the, the, the beginning of it all, I suppose. But Wisconsin's an amazing place. I'm from this very beautiful area. It's called the Driftless zone, the Driftless area. It's an area that has the world's most algific talus slopes. (laughs) So there's nowhere else in the world that has as many algific talus slopes. And And it's very hilly. It was untouched by glaciers. So it's very beautiful, much... How do you spell algifis talus? Uh, So A-L-G-I-F-I-C, algific Ah. talus, T-A-L-U-S, slopes. And these little slopes, they they are home to a number of threatened and endangered species. And it's a very special place, a lot of wildlife, a lot of wildlife preserves in this area. But then as soon as I was able to leave, I I went to Minneapolis and... Lived, um, hung out with some crazy, crazy people. I at, at one point I lived in a little log tent that I made, and uh, no, you did not. You lived in a tent. Hobos. <laughs> you lived in a tent. I lived in a log tent uh, alongside the train tracks with the hobos because I wanted to save money on rent. So I was very practical. I've always been very practical and frugal. Always looking for ways to to save money. Well, let me tell you, I know there's another thing that contributed to your ability to be practical, frugal, and save money. You are, like me and Kristen, a Peace Corps volunteer. You're a return Peace Corps volunteer from Morocco, if I recall. Tell me about how and why did you decide to go to the Peace Corps, and how does that factor into your resourcefulness and career decisions? Yeah, so I um, spent my entire 20s traveling around the, the world. I was a bit of a nomad learning Spanish, speaking Spanish, um, doing a lot of international development work. It wasn't until I was in my early 30s that I decided that 
maybe I should finally, you know, join the Peace Corps. It's something I've always wanted to do. And then once I'm done with that, I would get serious, go to grad school and get on with my career, get on with my life. You joined the Peace Corps in your 30s? I did. I was much older than the average person who was in Peace Corps. And it gave me, I think, a different perspective than a lot of the other volunteers had. I was a lot more serious, a lot more of a rule follower, uh, so to speak. And I definitely was the kind of person that who went native. I truly went native. I I even married my teacher. (laughs) So I I was in the mountains um, in the very south, southern part of Morocco near the Mauritanian border. And my Berber teacher uh, was very handsome. And we fell in love and we got married, brought him back to the United States. And we were with my parents for just a few months while I was trying to determine where I was going to go to grad school. And so once I decided I was going to go to the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee because they offered me a full ride. Uh, oh, yeah. Peace Corps fellow. Yeah. And it was just a terrific benefit and I couldn't pass it up. That was how I got my foray into the industry, into, into solar. I'm a lifelong environmentalist, uh, you know, very avid sustainable planning and international and, and, and economic development enthusiast. So when I got the job at the city of Milwaukee running the solar program that was funded by several Department of Energy grants, I was really excited. I really didn't know very much about solar, but certainly I knew a lot about, you know, conservation and energy and environmentalism. And, and I learned along, along the way, of course, I had a lot of um, coaching and I received a lot of technical assistance from NREL. Um, There was a tiger team that was set up to help folks like me. And this was back in the early days of solar. This is in 2010. This was 2008, actually, way before uh, the market went into overdrive. This was when we were trying to get PACE legislation across the country. This was before the ITC was was renewed for the first time. This was before ARA even. And so, you know, it was the Wild West. And Milwaukee was certainly a laggard city and frankly continues to be so today, but has made some strides. And Wisconsin writ large has some problems, I would say, in terms of policies. And they could do a lot more, but the state legislature is not that excited about renewable energy or or energy efficiency. They have granted the PSC sole control over local local governments. And so it's a challenge to get anything done in Wisconsin. And it was that experience that really cued me up for a career in solar. You raised like three and a half million or you had like a, you had a pretty big budget for the Milwaukee solar program. Yeah. Cause we were one of a handful of solar America cities. So we were um, a special designated city. We were designated, designated by the U S department of energy and we had millions of dollars to spend on solar hot water systems, on firehouses, a school, a high school exchange, um, I also did introduce um, some of the nation's first PACE legislation and did a lot of training with code officials. And it was really meaningful. I um, put together a business council and got the industry all excited. And that, that was back when Wisconsin had a very small cottage industry of, of solar installers and wind installers. And now it's really different. It's, it's, it's quite large. There's a lot of large-scale development happening in the state. And um, it really, really has a different sort of look and feel. So, Andrea, when did you realize that there was more to the solar industry for you than being a project manager at the city of Milwaukee? Tell me about the calling that led to eventually a decade at the Solar Foundation. In grad school, when I was in Milwaukee, I was studying nonprofit management leadership. So I'm very mission driven. I really believe in crafting, you know, difficult to achieve metrics and I'm very impact driven. And so the nonprofit sector always called to me. And my objective coming out of grad school was to get a job as an executive director at an environmental nonprofit. You know, because I already knew solar and I had received all this specialized training from NREL and the city planning department, I was definitely well equipped to 
to take a job like the Solar Foundations, um, you know, to, to serve as their first executive director. And so when I was tapped for that position, there was nothing there. It was basically a shell of an organization, basically just an idea. I had a zero dollar budget. I had no staff. I was in a new city and we did not have any institutionalized support or funding, only a tiny bit from SIA at that time. And, and that institutional support decreased over time and really, really no, no endowment, no safety net and just worked hard, worked so hard, worked, worked my hands to bloody stumps and really tried to maximize my network and was successful, was able to bring in a lot of money, was able to, do, to create some of the most instrumental programs that have existed over the last decade, like the National Solar Job Census, which really has tipped the scales in terms of public awareness and support for solar. And of course, the SolSmart program, which helps to bring solar-friendly policies and programs to local jurisdictions, local governments nationwide. I mean, that, that was directly envisioned that was sort of a direct result of my experience in Milwaukee. And so I took that Milwaukee experience and scaled it. And we ended up receiving, I don't know, like $20 million over five, six, seven years. The program's still going. And it's just amazing how our little seeds of ideas, this little seed of an organization was able to grow and flourish and really overcome many, many odds. And so last January, January, 2020, that's when I decided I I was, you know, I, I, I'd had enough, you know, 10 years at the Solar Foundation, bandaging those bloody stumps and really suffering and, and working, you know, nights and weekends. I had a kid in the meantime, and that was a challenge. I hardly spent any time with her when she was a baby. It affected my marriage. It affected my health. There were a lot of, there was a lot of stress. And so last January, I decided I was going to step down as part of our merger. So my organization was our board and myself. We were very keen on impact. And we heard from a lot of foundations and funders that we were just too small to be competitive for some of the funding that they had made available. And so we realized that now is not the time to be territorial. Now is not the time for egos. What we need to do is band together, join forces. Together we are stronger. I mean, all that sounds cliche, but I believe it's true. And knowing that you can't have two CEOs, I made the choice and voluntarily stepped down. And it was absolutely the right thing for me to do because after 10 years, I was, you know, really exhausted. And I needed a break. There were so many books that I, I wanted to read. But then also, I'm very technology agnostic. I'm less about solar as I am uh, about reversing global warming. And there's so many different ways to do it. And, you know, I'm, I'm really very much a conservationist. I don't think that it's wise for us to just build, build, build our way out of the climate change crisis. I think that we need to reduce our energy. I think energy efficiency is, is incredibly important. Food waste is important. Our diets are important. The technology, the hydrofluorocarbons in our refrigerators, we got to get away from that. And there's so many things that we need to do to have a sustainable planet. And I, I felt like the work that I had done with solar was, was okay in the hands of Larry Sherwood and the IREC team, that they could sustain that. They didn't need me to sustain it. And I'm such a, I'm brave and I take risks. And I, I just see myself as being able to have a larger contribution in, in other areas of, of the climate. Andrea, you had a remarkable run. And I, I know it wasn't always easy. You talked about the jobs census, what are you most proud of? What, what one, two, three things, I don't know how you might categorize this now that you have had a few months to decompress and think about it. What do you look fondly back on and think that's my legacy? Yeah, I, obviously the job census, number one, you know, that was 
the first project that I launched when I started at the Solar Foundation. And we had 10 full years of growing that research and getting hundreds of thousands of statistically significant data points around jobs and showing the world that you know the solar industry is pretty good for local economies was, I think, a huge, huge plus. How did the census do that? For those who are unfamiliar, maybe give a quick high level of what it is and, and how did it do that specifically? The National Solar Jobs Census report is something that I started in 2010. And each year I was able to get more and more funding to expand the scope so that we could get hundreds of thousands of statistically significant solar jobs numbers. And these numbers were incredibly valuable in in showing change over time. So we had 10 years worth of data and we could take these numbers to a lawmaker or to the PSC or to any decision maker and say, hey, solar is growing. Solar jobs are growing in your district, in your area. And by the way, did you know that solar workers make more than the national average. There's a low barrier to entry in terms of education. These jobs are in all 50 states, et cetera, et cetera. And the outlook is bright. And so we were so proud of this work, but it was so difficult to to raise the money and to do the work. At one point, I just decided that, you know, IRIC can handle it. Um, the, the staff at the Solar Foundation, they can handle it. And they'll do a great job carrying that legacy forward. I mentioned a couple of other programs, as did you, SoulSmart, the Training Network, uh, the Industry Diversity Study was the first ever. Tell us a little bit more about some of the impact that you and your team were able to have on the industry in the in the time that you were there. Yeah, so much impact. The SoulSmart program was a direct result of my experience at the city of Milwaukee. And so with SoulSmart, we were talking to hundreds and hundreds of cities and counties, helping them to become more solar friendly and solar ready through their policies and ordinances and programs. And, you know, we've, we've designated, I think, 400 at this point, and this program continues into perpetuity. So it is really incredible. It's really helping to touch every jurisdiction around the country in, to some extent and um, is, is helping to make counties and cities ready for the onslaught of the solar industry, which is a wonderful thing. And then, of course, I'm very proud of the diversity uh, work that we did, um, educating women and girls, getting more women into the workforce, getting more people into the workforce, people from different backgrounds, uh, people of color, LGBTQ folks. That's where we're going to have the most innovation. And solving for climate change really does require participation from everyone. And whether you are participating because you have a job in the industry or you are a consumer or you are selling a product to a solar or wind or energy efficiency company or you're designing policy, whatever your role is, in the world. Um, Every single person needs to be involved. And so it's a great initiative um, that we started through our research, our solar industry diversity research. And that research also continues on and is being led by uh, the team at the Solar Foundation and IRAC. And of course, SIA is doing a lot there as well. And I'm part of the Renewables Forward. I'm one of the founding members of the Renewables Forward Initiative, which is an initiative to bring together CEOs and HR directors to make concrete changes to how we diversify and change the overall demographics of the industry. And of course, all of this is super transferable across other sectors. And um, I'm very proud that we planted the seeds and and really um, started the trend. Yeah, I love the Renewables Forward Initiative and the Diversity Report, both pioneering efforts that you've been a part of. And I'm really uh, honored to see all the work that everybody is doing there. I mean, Kristen actually was the first to bring my attention to a Renewables Forward Initiative. I know you and she work a lot on these kinds of things together. And that is bringing together an incredibly impactful group of uh, influential folks across the industry. So we've categorically moved into a, a realm that 10 years ago, when you started uh, at the Solar Foundation, 
talking about the need for solar jobs and the need for diversity, we could have only imagined the kind of uh, consensus that Renewables Forward is creating. And I'm really just really pleased to see that happening. Yeah, of course, um, with the new administration, there's a huge focus on equity and, you know, with good reason. And we, we definitely need to reverse the systemic and systematic racism that is um, inherent in our society. But Renewables Forward is important because it's tackling the issues of equity washing. And, um, you know, there's a lot of companies that are out there um, in across the U.S. economy that are making all the right moves. They're, they're making proclamations that diversity is important. They're um, doing a third-party assessment. They're doing blind uh, resume reviews. But yet, it's still just a veneer, and they're fooling the public. They're truly not equitable, and they're truly not moving um, as quickly as they need to toward um, full equity. And so, so Renewables Forward is, is definitely cognizant of the, uh, of the, the danger of equity watching. From your perspective, are there things that you weren't able to accomplish that are kind of left undone that are now in the capable hands of IREC and you're going to be watching them from the sidelines? Yeah, actually. So we put a proposal in, um, we were working on a proposal to the Department of Commerce to replicate many of the successful elements from our um, Puerto Rico proposal and our our work in Puerto Rico. Um, We had another application in for the USVI. And we really saw our work in Puerto Rico, the the business capacity building, the business literacy raising, the workforce development, the microgrids pilots. We saw that as being capable of serving as a model for the entire Caribbean. I really wanted to be part of the USVI work and then, you know, really help to replicate the successes in Puerto Rico and the USVI across other Caribbean islands. Now, that's something I can do as a consultant. And so I am still eager to do international development work. Um, I speak Spanish and would be very excited to continue that work um, as an independent consultant or, or, or as a consultant to or part of a team for um, a group like the Solar Foundation or IREC. And I, I'm still a consultant to them. What's missing based on the research and the on the ground work? What's missing right now in workforce development that as an industry we still need to focus on and strengthen? Well, I think uh, what's really missing right now is how we are going to join forces with union labor in a way that doesn't negatively impact wages or cause wages to spike in a way that makes it unsavory or it really could affect project costs and and so and and shortages too so if there's a, a, a union labor mandate um, how are we going to fill all the positions we're already having trouble filling those positions and so I think there's a gap there um, but then in general I think the biggest gap that we have as an industry which isn't related to workforce per se I think that we really need more analysis on how distributed generation, how rooftop solar and energy efficiency and mostly rooftop solar and storage pencil out. And we need those analyses so that we can, when the PUC is evaluating pr- proposals or projects, they, they can have an apples to apples view. They can look at the utility scale project and they can look at a series of rooftop solar plus storage projects and make informed decisions, decisions that will affect greenhouse gas emissions reductions, uh, decisions that will affect local hiring and local materials, equipment utilization, and of course, rates. I think that there's going to be a huge rate impact because of our absolute urgent need to make an energy transition. When you use more distributed generation, you can avoid some of the transmission and distribution costs. You can avoid some of the build-out, uh, transmission build-out that's, that's being proposed by MISO and ISO and all of the, the, the regulatory underlayers. And I know that there is a, a, a real trend toward 
having this beautiful interconnected grid. Of course, we saw recently in Texas that part of the problem with ERCOT was that it was it's an island and it was not connected to any other grid systems. But I'm afraid of how it's going to impact rates. And I'm worried that distributed generation options will be um, ignored or avoided if we don't have good solid numbers to help us evaluate um, the greenhouse gas emissions reductions and the impacts on rates. And so I think, honestly, we've been talking about that for 10 years. We still don't have a solution. We still don't have data for DG, for DERs. And and that's really unfortunate because while we absolutely need utility scale solar and wind, um, DERs are at a great disadvantage because there's no, there, we don't have adequate numbers and analysis to go with it. Is there anything similarly that was left undone, but now you can focus on it because you're unencumbered by the nonprofit role? Yeah, so working at the Solar Foundation, because it's a 501c3, I was constrained. We all were constrained. We were not able to do any lobbying, and I make an excellent lobbyist, and I'm very excited to flex that muscle and educate decision makers and um, other legislators on the benefits of clean energy, on the benefits of energy efficiency, and all the different ways that we can go about reversing global warming. And so that's in great part what I'm doing with my consulting firm currently. That's fantastic. And our industry is going to be well served to have someone with your depth of experience uh, working alongside a lot of the folks that have now been elevated into you know positions in the administration. I think it's an excellent time for you to be uh, out in the, in the free world <laughs> consulting and, uh, and determining how your impact is going to meet the world. I am actually curious, what career path did you not go down but always thought you would? Oh, when I was a kid, I always wanted to be a marine biologist, but I was afraid of the math and science, which is ridiculous because I'm actually very good at math and science. But I somehow subconsciously bought into the notion that girls, women and girls were bad at math and science. This was back in the day. And um, if I could do it all over again, I'm not, I'm not sure I would make any changes to my life. I have an amazing life. I have zero regrets, but I do see how the ocean is being impacted by global warming, by climate change. I see the you know terrible plastification of our oceans, and I make my own personal choices at home. I I I have um, subscribed to all of those little trendy things where I you know get my toothpaste in a pill and my soap in a little tablet and my laundry detergent in a sheet because I am very opposed to contributing to the plastic problem that our entire world is faced. I mean, 400,000 laundry jugs are thrown into landfills each year in the United States. And I just think that if I were to go into marine biology, I could have, um, you know, become an ocean conservationist. But I'm very happy with my career path. and, And I feel that now is not the time to make big switches or changes. I need to leverage my massive network because we only have about eight years remaining before we really hit that um, point of no return. All right. So you've got Salesforce for your sales team. How's that working out for you? How great would it be if someone could actually just come in and really make your whole solar sales process deliver results? And what's more, what if you could actually see all the sales data in one dashboard? Pipeline, forecast, aging, deals that are about to close, the whole darn thing. Look, I have someone who can help do all that. They're called Indium. And right now, for a limited time, you can get a Salesforce tune-up, a process assessment from them entirely on the house. Just click on the Indium logo over at mysuncast.com and start getting more value from Salesforce finally. You know, it's the time of year where folks start moving around from business to business, job to job, career transition is at its peak. And it's often a time where folks look to someone else to help organize their thoughts and guide their principles. I've spent the last 15 years in renewables. I've spent the last five years coaching founders and startup executives in this space specifically. And for the last year, I've been helping folks transition out of oil and gas and other industries into renewables. 
And I've found that there are a few things that are commonalities. I'd like to invite you, if that sounds like something you're interested in, to have a conversation with me about whether or not coaching might be in your future and working with me might be something that would help level up your business or your personal career path. You can fill out an application over at mysuncast.com. Just click on the work with me button in the very top right. And everyone who fills out an application, I'm going to set up a 15 minute clarity call. So I'd invite you to run, fill that out. If this sounds remotely interesting to you and let's have a chat, see if there is in fact a fit. I look forward to chatting soon. Thank you so much for tuning into Suncast. Let me know if I can help you in other ways. What sacrifice do you feel you had to make in order to get where you are in your career right now? I had to sacrifice my time with my kid. When I was pregnant with her, we were a staff of three people. Then I gave birth and was working 80 hours a week on the weekends. And I really didn't see her very much and really wasn't a great parent. And so while now that I'm a consultant and have more time, it's wonderful to be a more present and available parent. All kids, they need good parents and uh, you have to give them time. Yeah, it's so fun to watch how she sort of flowed in and out of your office as we were working together and to get to see the relationship you have with her. It's priceless. And I know that uh, that is something that you've been working hard at. So I just want to acknowledge that I see how intentional you are in raising your child as a working mom. Andrea, tell me something that's true for you that very few people would agree with you on. Where are you a contrarian? Well, um, currently I'm in Wisconsin. So my mother, who's almost 80 years old, she called me up and she begged for me to come home and help her out. She wanted me to help her fight the transmission lines that were going to be cutting across our area and uh, wildlife refuge. And she wanted me to help fight against a 600 megawatt wind farm. And you know, I was like, mom, you're being a NIMBY. Come on. Like, surely we need these transmission lines if they're being proposed. Uh, are you, you know, and she's like, well, we might need them, but there have been no uh, evaluations of the different routes that the transmission lines could take. We don't really know what other options have been studied. It seems that no other routes have been studied. And so we're we're opposing it because of the because of the lack of due diligence and i said okay well i can get behind that i mean believe in transparency i believe in best practices i believe that transmission lines can make great sense as long as all aspects have been carefully analyzed so i got a little bit involved with that but i got mostly involved in in fighting against the 600 megawatt wind farm the reason I was really against this wind farm has nothing to do with wind. It has everything to do with how the developer was going door to door to get landowner signatures and not involving the public in any way. It was about how our county government refused to update our wind ordinance to offer the county residents with protections. It was about how the PSC in 20, 2009 took away all of the power of local governments and has a real, hate to say it, but it's a bit of a rubber stamp process in approving um, large scale wind and solar projects. And, and I was not happy about the fact that there were no studies on how the rates were going to be impacted. And, and so it just seemed like the way this was being approached was wrong. And so I got involved. I spoke with everyone. I talked with the PSC. I spoke with the governor's office. I spoke with the, the woman who's writing the sustainability and clean energy plan for the state of Wisconsin. I spoke with all the reps and the state legislators. I spoke with the mayor of Dodgeville and all of the county officials of Iowa County. And, 
and I talked with farmers and I talked with landowners and it became a larger and larger scandal, in my opinion. The fact that this 600 megawatt wind project was being imposed on this area with no community buy-in, no evaluation of options no local authority, no updated wind ordinances for protection. You know, 600 megawatts is pretty big. 600 megawatts, this is six to seven times larger than anything that currently exists in Wisconsin or has ever even been conceived of in Wisconsin. The people felt like they were being imposed on. So my take was, hey, we need best practices. We need to put a pause on this so we can implement some best practices. We can update our wind ordinance so we can have a conversation with the PSC and let them know that their current process is really disenfranchising the public. And so that was my take. But then, of course, what I also saw was a lot of anti-wind sentiment. And, and, And I don't like that because it's not about you shouldn't hate the technology. You should not be against the technology. I am super technology agnostic. It's all about whatever's going to make the most sense and reduce the most carbon as possible. Um, So I'm not against any technology. What I'm against are the laws and the policies and the policymakers that are making it difficult for communities to get involved. And so that's what I'm hopeful. I'm hoping that the people that are seemingly anti-wind can become more anti-bad policy and put their energy toward fixing the policy and solving the policy challenges that they face as opposed to telling people that wind is terrible and that it kills birds and that there's stray voltage and that if one of the blades freezes and falls off, it's going to hit your house. I mean, that's just, that's crazy. Certainly it can happen, but we don't want to fear monger. We need renewables. We need large scale wind and solar to fight climate change. And when people are going around talking about wind in this negative way, it, it really hurts the entire movement toward renewables, small, large, and our movement toward um, saving the planet. And so I'm trying to help shape that. But that's probably the, the area in which I'm the most, you know, against the grain. I love the complexity of your answer for what, for me on the surface, I never know what I'm going to get from that question and your lobbying chops, uh, you know, uh, show through there. I love how your small town now benefits from two decades of learning to navigate the complexity of stakeholder management. Yeah. Well, let's hope they listen. Um, I've given them every, every ounce of, um, insight that I can. And I I know I have made a a little bit of a difference. I definitely have raised awareness. The county did agree to some public information sessions and they are considering updating their wind ordinance. And so so change happening. It may be um, not fast enough for this big 600 megawatt project to get into the ground, approved and then get into the ground. But at least it will be in place for future projects in the state. You know, we need this energy transition, but it has to be equitable. It has to be participatory. People have to feel that they're benefiting. They have to feel that they are part of the energy transition, that somebody asked them what they want, and they were able to put their dollars toward the technologies that they want. You are an inspiration for many folks in the industry, women and men alike. I'd love to know who inspires you in the renewable energy business. You inspire me, Nico. Uh, that was a, that was a gimme, right? It was a layup. <laughs> well, well, I would say among, among the folks that aren't on this call, uh, who inspires you and what can we learn from them? I would say Jigger really inspires me. Jigger Shaw. He's one of my favorite people. I've known him for a decade and I just read his book recently, his climate wealth. Yeah, finally, climate wealth. finally, I read his book. And he's a good listener and he understands the importance of the participation ideal and is really trying to get there. And so Jigger really inspires me because he he doesn't cut corners and he really believes in bringing all of the different voices together to find consensus. And he has an amazing connection, you know, network, um, which is incredible. So 
who else inspires me? One of my old board members, Scott Sklar, um, he really inspires me. He helped me really get my head out of solar and into other technologies and think about the impact and the overall goal of decarbonization and and reversing global global warming. And so I really appreciated his hybridization approach to, to our research and education work at the Solar Foundation. Andrea, what were for you some of the key lessons or takeaways from the important mentors who've impacted your career trajectory? So my leadership style, I think, comes from Mary Powell. She's a macro manager and I've become a macro manager. It's the opposite of micromanager. So you have very specific goals that you work through with the person you're managing, but you give a lot of rope and you sort of let them try it out and and you, you empower them enough so that they can, through trial and error, see if they can crack the code. And so that's really been a really important takeaway for me in my life, like the the tighter you squeeze, the less you have. The tighter you, you try to manage something or someone, the less you'll get from them. The, 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 the worse the morale will be, the less productive they will be. And so I've really become a very good, I think, macro manager in that it's on my, everything's on my radar, but my radar is very vast, very big. Um, I tend a very global perspective to 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 everything that I do, and I I really let people my my staff and direct reports try things, fail. Of course, I will intervene if I think that they are really going in the wrong direction, but only if it's significant, like more than twenty percent of what I would do or how I would do it. So if it's but if, if, if it's about 80% of, of how I would do it, I let them go because the more they will do it themselves, the more they will feel that sense of ownership and buy-in. You know, you make it sound like things have gone so well. And I can't believe that a decade was not fraught with some sort of problems. Were there any, call it forks in the road or areas where you reached a dead end and said, "Oh, okay. Let's. Uh, this is a, a forcing function on uh, decision making here. How did you? How did you work your way through some of those uh, problem areas as a manager?" <laughs> Smooth sailing, hardly. I mean, I've had so many conflicts and struggles in my 13-year solar career. About seven years ago, at the Solar Foundation, we we had a failed systems audit. It was the first year that we received a large chunk of federal funds. And so, you know, we went from having a million dollar budget to a $5 million budget practically overnight. It was all federal funds. We grew so fast and we were so unprepared for, for that growth. So we, we failed our systems audit. Um, like we were, no one was embezzling. There's nothing like that. It was just that we, we didn't have our timekeeping system in compliance. And so this was a big deal for the auditors, of course, and and I agree. But that was really an incredible learning experience. Of course, the way we I overcame it was through tenacity and persistence, put a ton of time into overhauling the accounting and, and um, timekeeping infrastructure and demonstrate to the auditors and the federal government that our systems were in compliance. So that was a, a big learning experience, but also a big success. And it was really tough, very scary. We thought we were going to get all of our federal funds pulled away, um, but we didn't. In fact, we kept getting more and more federal funds, grants. And so we came out ahead. But also during that time, interestingly, our accountant died. <laughs> so it was, I mean, we were having audit problems. Our My accountant died unexpectedly. I had to go through all this forensic accounting and to get super focused. I locked myself into my office for six months and I just focused on corrective actions and getting the accounting and timekeeping infrastructure up, up, up to par, doing all that forensic accounting. But, you know, I took responsibility. I, I said, okay, that was probably my fault and not, not that she died, but that we had these issues. And so 
you know, I took responsibility and I, I led the team, did it calmly and systematically until the problem was solved. And of course, during that whole time, the Department of Energy wasn't paying its invoices to us. And so we had horrendous working capital problems. So not only were we about to get our funding taken away Mm -hmm. and my accountant died, but we had no money in the bank. The Department of Energy at one point owed us like a million and a half dollars. And for a small organization like ours, that was just (laughs) put us over the edge. And so I was faced with the prospect of having to lay off all of my staff as well. So it was just a really, really hairy time. We overcame was able to protect all of our federal grants, get more federal grants and prove to the federal government and everybody else that our systems were in compliance, that we were ready. And you know, now DOE says that we have model policies and procedures and you know, we're recognized as, as, as being trustworthy. So it was a big success over, overall, but it nearly killed us. It was so scary. We were really on the edge. And, and I think a lot of nonprofits have to go through this sort of reckoning with 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 how they do things. Um, nonprofits tend to start out all loosey goosey, and then they start to get funding. And if you get government funding, there are always uh, a lot of strings attached, a lot of compliance hurdles to clear. And if you don't know what you're doing from the very minute that you receive your first federal dollar or state dollar, you will be in in audit trouble and you know, we didn't really know that. And my board really didn't know that. And I didn't learn that in school, even though I, you know, got my master's in nonprofit management leadership. This was just something that was not super familiar to any of us. And we had to learn the hard way, but we learned it and we're better off for it. Well, back to current events. I mentioned earlier, as did you, that not only is this administration going to give us a tailwind for once, uh, or finally again in our in our tenure in the industry, but we've now got some friendlies like Jigger Shaw, who you mentioned earlier, running the loan program. How do you see the current administration's focus on climate uh, benefiting real uh, impactful jobs and growth in this sector? And over what time frame do you anticipate we're going to see the kinds of growth we're expecting? So Kelly Speaks Bachman is the principal Uh, assistant deputy secretary. And so she has a very, very important job and is doing amazingly. She's super focused on on climate, on renewables. Of course, Jigger is heading up the LPO, the loan programs office. Um, Michael Reagan just got confirmed at EPA. Uh, I mean, it is kind of a dream team over at the administration right now. Nicole Steele, our good friend, she's community solar um, at the solar energy technologies office. And of course we have all, we have so many friends and colleagues at the federal government. And so I think that they are moving alongside the Biden energy plan. They're, 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 they continue to be very focused on early drafts of the, the energy plan. There have been numerous ideas that have been publicly generated through the clean project to to you know try and seed some of the big funding opportunities in the direction of the department of energy and other agencies i have no doubt that climate equity and the economy are going to be the the three-part strategy as we go forward I, i don't know if it's going to be a tremendous windfall for the solar and wind industries I think that solar and wind have done a great job, even under Trump, um, just constantly growing and evolving. Um, I think that there's an opportunity to do other things as as they pertain to methane and hydrofluorocarbons and other greenhouse gases that are that are not carbon. And so I think that the DOE and and the EPA are going to have their hands full with that and and can have a really big impact. So. So on what timeline? I think it's going to be urgent if we can hold on to the Senate and the House in two years. Uh, that's great. But if not, then, yeah, it's, it's going to be a challenge. So it's urgent. Uh, as many executive orders should be in place now. Uh, certainly, Trump uh, rolled back a lot of environmental protection. So we have to sort of 
put those back in place. There's a lot that needs to be done. There's a lot of funding and a lot of that's been sort of hidden and in different pots and un, unused, under underutilized during the Trump administration that needs to be sort of pulled back out. There's research, there's data, there's insights that, that needs to be resurfaced um, that, that had been buried under the Trump administration. So there's a lot of work to do. And with the Clean Tech Leaders Roundtable, that's a group that uh, I'm affiliated with. I'm on their board. And that group, interestingly, started out as a dinner group where um, CEOs and entrepreneurs and investors would meet at somebody's beautiful home, have dinner together. But because of the pandemic, we became virtual and it's enabled the group to expand well beyond um, city limits. So we've got people in our group now from London, from Asia, from the West Coast, East Coast. And it's just an incredible growing network. So I encourage everybody to check that out. I've got three questions for you. What, apart from your field of nonprofit or solar energy, are you most fanatical about? Hiking, eating, playing with my kid, gardening, reading, hanging out. I don't know. There's a lot of things in life. I mean, life is really short, traveling, living. But in terms of a field, I'm interested in politics. I um, am very interested in, in um, history. I love the Vikings and the, the Viking history. And I, I love to learn about indigenous cultures. Um, I'm working with uh, native renewables right now and helping them to figure out ways to bring power to all of the Navajo and Hopi uh, people that 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 are without power currently. So that's a little bit part of my field, but it's, there are some, you know, cross, cross references, history, primitive cultures, nature, indigenous cultures. Um, have you ever seen that show alone on the History Channel? I haven't. OMG, that is the best show. My dad and I are watching it together. And the, the premise is there's, there's 10 people. They are dropped off in somewhere in the arctic and they have to you know basically it's like the last one standing wins a half a million dollars and they they live for a hundred days in the in the arctic killing um wolverines and bears and moose and fish it's incredible it's fantastic that's actually more along the lines of the kind of answer i expected that is remarkable <laughs> so if I if I do decide to have a career change, I might go apply for that show. I have to take some That's primitive awesome. uh, survival skills training. Need I need a better sleeping bag. That's for sure. But I think that sounds really fun and um, really into that. What are you the terriblest at? Like charades, parallel parking. I don't know. I am the worst at cleaning up after myself in the kitchen. <laughs> 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 oh, I yeah, I, I don't cook um, and I really don't clean uh, unless I have to. So I'm really, really a, a terrible person to live with. And, um, and you're, you're very kind and understanding domestic. Yeah, partner. yeah. So I'm really horrible to live with. But, you know, I suppose it takes a village. And so I do play a role. Um, I do contribute, but not in the ways that are most helpful. <laughs> so what's something that you don't know how to do, but you don't know how to do without? Well, I don't know how to sew clothes, but I can't live naked. I, I don't know how to fix my computer, but I can't go without my computer. There's so many things. I mean, I am certainly not an expert at uh, most things, let's say, you know, nobody is. So yeah, I, I think, you know, I love I can't do without internet, but I don't know how it works. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. Andrea, what book have you recommended or gifted the most and why? Oh, um, Drawdown is a fabulous book by Paul Hawken. And I've gifted that many times, probably five times, because it's so concisely laying out all of the various options for reversing global warming. And it, it has taught me to take a technology agnostic approach. You know, Scott Sklar and Paul Hawken have taught me that. And to really focus on the, the numbers at the end of the day, it's like cost over greenhouse gas emissions reductions and to be practical in, in that thinking. 
What quotes in your life have you kept dear? If you had a wall of quotes in your office, what two or three essentials do you think would be on it? Or even one? In my office, I have a fist, a closed fist with the words, never give up. Those are words to live by. I think it's very easy for most people to give up. And I don't ever give up. Even leaving the Solar Foundation after 10 years, that wasn't me giving up. That was me passing off and bravely stepping off of the cliff, off of the edge into into the unknown. I'm very persistent. And that's probably one of my best qualities. If if I say I'm going to do something, I do it. I tend to over-deliver. Where can those who might be so inclined best engage with you? Where do you like to be found? LinkedIn. LinkedIn is the best place. Um, I check my LinkedIn every day. I am trying to be more active and support. Really love to support my friends and colleagues um, through that platform. So that's the best. I'm really terrible at Twitter. Um, Facebook is fine. That's where you'll get to see pictures of my kid and, uh, you know, date night pictures and other things like that. But um, LinkedIn is the best for professional communication. Well, Andrea, if you had one ask, you've got the Suncast audience here tuned in. Uh, how can the Suncast audience help on your mission? Be flexible in your thinking about solutions to climate change and be kind and help each other participate fully. And don't just think about profit. Think about people. Well, it's in today with a bold prediction, as we always do. Well, one thing, Andrea Lukey, do you see happening in the market that maybe nobody else is tracking? What's in your crystal ball? We need a solution for refrigerators. If we can come up with a, a way to produce less polluting refrigerators and air conditioning units, we will have made a huge impact. And so I think that with Michael Reagan, he's going to put a lot of... Um, efforts into that. And that's going to be, that's going to make a a huge dent. So I see that happening. We won't be talking about it much because that's not really on the radar of the solar, but I think that it's incredibly important in terms of getting us, um, you know, we're at a crisis point and it'll allow us to breathe a little better and, and, and help. Mm -hmm. And it's number one on on uh, Project it is. Number one, biggest contributor, biggest uh, effort, uh, the biggest offender and the one that we can take down almost, I would say, the easiest if we saw it as sexy and profitable. <laughs> right. And I'm going to bring sexy back to energy efficiency as well. Love it. That's good. That's a that's a quotable right there. I'm going to bring sexy back. Well, maybe sexy was never there. I'm going to bring sexy to energy efficiency. <laughs> You heard it here first on Suncast. Andrea Lukey is formerly executive director of the Solar Foundation and is now an independent consultant with All Impact Consulting. You can find her on LinkedIn. You can also find her uh, when uh, whenever the COVID restrictions are lifted in a restaurant uh, nearby in the D.C. area trying to lobby for this industry to get what is ours and to keep it out of the hands of the fossil industry. Andrea, it is amazing to finally get a chance to have uh, this much time with you and record it all. I know, Nico. I love you so much. And it has been such a pleasure. I've missed you. I've missed your team. We spent so much time together during the inaugural ball and um, just great to connect again. I also have a website, so folks can also check my website out. It's allimpactconsulting.com. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll hopefully all be seeing everybody in person soon. And um, yes, I'm in D.C. Hit me up and I'd love to connect. Look forward to doing just that. And I would encourage you all to do the same. All right, Solar Warriors, thank you for sticking around all the way to the end. I hope that you feel like you were rewarded. I certainly was. My friend Andrea has truly been an inspiration for so many in this industry. So Andrea, thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to help inspire those who are aiming to come along behind you, learn from your legacy and integrate, knit it into their own. And of course, I'm so grateful that you continue to tune in here 
If you're eager to keep learning, and I know you are, my fellow Philomath, then you can go find the resources, the book links, and so much more from this and every other discussion, including social media links, recommendations for where to have lunch in the DC area, lots of things that we share on these episodes over in the show notes at the blog, mysuncast.com. When you go to Andrea's profile, as you should be doing any moment now from the show notes, then you'll see where she has commented on the post that we made on LinkedIn. Do us a favor, drop a comment and a like, and thank her yourself for taking the time to share with you her thoughts on how she's grown in this industry. And if you are looking for the opportunity to grow in this industry as well, I would encourage you to check out our mission-minded coaching program specifically tailored to help folks that are looking to level up or transition into clean energy in 12 weeks. It is an action-packed, content-filled, or maybe it's content-packed and action-filled. I don't know. It's 12 weeks that give you a leg up on the competition and help you tailor that proposal that is your personal profile in your life to get the job you have been desiring and dreaming about in clean energy. Won't you join us back here again next week where on Tuesdays we do Tactical Tuesdays. Next week is another episode from our career summit all about D&I. And then on Thursday, we've got yet another deep dive with an industry leading expert founder or CEO as we do every Thursday. Thanks again to our sponsors for helping make this content free to you. You can learn more about them and how you could also partner with thousands of Suncast listeners at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. Remember, you are what you listen to. So thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.